Welcome to episode four, where we talk to Maggie Barr, director of content strategy at Amtrust Financial Services. So get your popcorn, find a comfy chair, and get dialed in for some candid SEO conversations. I'm your host, Jacob Stoops, and this is the Page Two Podcast. If you're looking for an SEO podcast where you get every trick in the book, this is not the podcast for you. In this podcast, we tell the personal stories of some of the industry's brightest minds. We discuss what life as an SEO is really like from an insider's perspective, swap stories about our greatest triumphs, failures, hopes, and frustrations, and we even go off script to talk about movies and pop culture. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some candid SEO conversations. Welcome to episode four of the Page Two Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Stoops. You can find me at Jacob Stoops on Twitter, and you can find the Page Two Podcast at jacobstoops.com forward slash page two podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Maggie Barr, Director of Content Strategy at Amtrust Financial Services. And the interesting thing about Maggie, aside from the fact that she and I uh, worked together at a previous agency for about four to five years, is that Maggie came from a journalism background before getting into SEO. So she was really intriguing to me as an interview subject and just kind of knowing her overall path and watching her journey, um, really intriguing. And and, uh, the primary thing that I wanted to uncover was her experience, not just was it different, but how was it different maybe from the traditional journey uh, through the SEO career path. And as I've stated before, I'm just always so interested because I find that SEOs just come from so many different places. I always just want to dig deeper, almost when I first meet somebody uh, in the in the field, just to understand where they came from, how they got there, what their successes and failures uh, have been, and how their unique career path has fueled their unique experience, uh, aside from probably some of the interesting stories that they have. And that's really the point uh, of this podcast is to dig deeper into the human experience within the SEO industry. Um, Obviously share tips, but to really dig deeper into what it's like to be an SEO. So without further ado, uh, let's bring in Maggie. Part one, the life. So we are on with Maggie Barr. She is the content strategy director of Amtrust Financial. How's it going, Maggie? It's good. Thanks for having me, Jake. Thank you for joining. So for those of you that do not know Maggie, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself to begin with. Um, So Maggie and I go way back. Um, We worked at Rosetta and Sapient Razorfish, Sapient Razorfish together. Um, So we've worked together for for quite a while. And Maggie um, is a really awesome uh, content strategist, SEO background. Um, definitely um, work side saddle with me on a lot of different projects. So I think that uh, if you're listening, you are in for some awesome, awesome stories. So Maggie, tell us a little bit about your background. So right, you're in content strategy right now, but you go back to the old days. You've been an SEO for Um, for a little while. And before that, um, you started somewhere completely different. So talk us through your background. Where'd you come from? Sure. So I was a newspaper journalism major at Syracuse University. Um, Syracuse has a really awesome journalism program. I thought I was going to be a New York Times reporter, be a real big hotshot. About midway through my college career, this was about 2005, newspapers started kind of tanking a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. The online world uh, killed newspaper journalism. Uh, at the same time, Newhouse kept bringing in all these career speakers to to motivate us, and they would say, "The hours are terrible. 
you can't have a family, you live in these horrible places, you get paid nothing, but it's an awesome job. And I'm like, I don't know, that doesn't sound awesome to me. So I graduated in 2007 with a newspaper journalism degree, but did not want to be a journalist anymore. Say la vie. Um, but I think, yeah, when you have a writing background, you can go a lot of ways with that. So it, yep. you know, it, it worked out for me. Um, so my first job out of college, I moved to Washington, D.C., uh, you know, super excited, going to take on the Capitol and um, got a, a role in digital marketing where I was an online copywriter. So I was doing a little bit of SEO, like air quotes there, because this was back in, you know, 2007, 2008, where you were calling it SEO as long as you're like, yeah, I'm putting in keywords. It wasn't strategic. I wasn't even really using keyword research. I was just thinking of keywords in my head. And I, I think that's kind of a lot of the backwards SEO that people started with back in the day. Um, I think people so still kind of, do that, by the way. That's true, actually. That's probably yeah. very true. Um, so that's kind of where I started. And I did a little bit of everything in that digital role, right? We were doing email marketing, um, et cetera. And then I decided I miss Cleveland. People make fun of me for that, but I love Cleveland. I wanted to come back home to Ohio. Yes. So I left um, DC and came back home. And this was right, you know, 2009 when the economy was not stellar. Um, I got a job at an agency. I was only there a couple months. Uh, They had massive layoffs. I got caught in that. It happened. Then I kind of bumped around with a couple like freelance contractor, like I'm, I'm desperate and I want to make income and not be on the streets type of job. Then the economy started picking up. I got a job at a smaller agency. Then I bumped um, over to Rosetta and was at, there for a while. And now I'm at Amtrust. So one of the things that really, really fascinates me and part of the reason that I'm doing this podcast is not necessarily to focus on giving tips and advice. I think that'll come out organically, but that's not the focus. What I really want to focus on, what it's really like to be an SEO. And and the thing that fascinates me most is SEOs come from so many different backgrounds. And, um, you know, the first uh, couple of episodes, I would say, of this podcast, I've interviewed people that have came more from the technical side um, but you came from a journalism background. So talk to me about like, what was that like? And what challenges did that present as you got into doing SEO? Yeah, so I think I kind of moved more into SEO and, you know, the SEO content writer type of position. And I, I think there's been a shift in SEO recently where I did kind of start out more technical based. I mean, you had keywords, but technical, I think, kind of dominated the SEO realm but now i think content in a lot of ways almost overshadows technical i know we may have some disagreements there but um i think content kind of overshadows it right because you have to have content to rank and you have to have interesting content to get people to convert etc um so i think when i first started it was kind of like the content writers here's the topic here's the keyword just turn out your little writing like you guys do and over the years as I was in it 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 changed a lot I became a lot more involved in the strategy I was doing keyword research I was setting the tone I was doing a lot of the reporting looking at a lot of the analytics so I think a lot of people that started from the content perspective moved out of that sole writer position into a little bit more of a wholesome role where you're doing everything and then technical I think a lot of content people picked up a lot of technical Again, because it is an important part of SEO. If you're not having your technical ducks in a row, your your content's not going to be found. So I think that there was a lot of blend of skills that kind of naturally emerged over the years. So let me get down into kind of the the, the nitty gritty, and I want to I want to keep on the journalism and the um, the content writer thing because um, obviously with us working working together, um, we we kind of know kind of what went on. A little bit behind the scenes. So I guess talk about how difficult it was to shift from being coming from a journalism background and getting into in getting into SEO and then being thought of as a content writer for a long time and not necessarily um, being able to find a way into the SEO career path, not because you didn't want it to happen, but because of the perception from those above. Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think this was probably unique to Rosetta, but there definitely was a silo, right, of, of mm -hmm. if you write content, we'll feed you the SEO keywords and you can bake them in there, um, but kind of stay out of the strategies, stay out of the analytics, et cetera, and just kind of live in your little content house. Um, and I think that has broken down a lot, not just at Rosetta, which kind of shattered that model, and then the content writers kind of just became the regular SEO team team members, um, but I think that's happened a lot of different places that, you know, it's, it's, it's a universal role. I think an SEO person often does have writing skills, they have technical skills, et cetera, that they're not just an SEO person, that the skill set has, has broadened. Yeah, and for a while, there was the thought that the content people could not or should not be SEOs or given strategy work. And I know at the time I fought pretty hard against that because I just didn't right. think it made sense for people who were trying to advance in their career to get stuck from a career path and not be able to go any farther along because people only thought that they, all they could do was, was write. Um, and that's, that's where I think a lot of people that come from the um, marketing or content side get pigeonholed in that yeah. people, whether it be in management or upper management, for some reason, and maybe this doesn't exist as much anymore, um, I hope it doesn't, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it in a few years, but um, for some reason there's this perception that if you're a writer, you can't also be a strategist and you can't learn technical, and that was definitely um, a, a big box that that we broke down together and uh, along with a few other people there and honestly by the time we both left um, the people that started as content writers were some of the strongest and most well-rounded strategists that there were and really the only barrier was opportunity and some level of training right. um, and, some, right. and it seems like at some places people just don't want to necessarily do that or allow that or whatever so that's something that i remember that kind of stuck with me that i never felt right about but that i'm glad for for you and for your sake that it resolved well yeah and i i think a lot of content people because you're coming at it from the perspective of the writer have kind of a different take on keyword research that in mm -hmm. sometimes can almost stronger because you're so aware of what the article is going to be about, kind of where you see it going, that you're able to do the keyword research ahead of time, and it's, it's more closely aligned to what the topic is actually going to be about. And I think that some people that are, are you know, their wheelhouse is content, they can just see the broader picture on the content strategy and, and lay out different topics and kind of create pillar topics and supporting topics. Uh, a little bit more clearer than some of the people that are are more technical based. Not to say technical people can't do it, because I know you're very good at content strategy too. But um, I think a lot of the the content based people are are very strong in that. Yeah, yeah, and I would I would agree. And I think um, I think a lot of the the content based people or the people that come from that background not only are stronger when it comes to the strategic end and the keyword research, but understanding. The, the mind of the, the consumer. Um, for, for me, at least, it seems like uh, on the technical SEO side, it's, it's a little bit more black and white and cut and dry. And, um, you know, when you come at it from the other side, it's a lot more than just looking up a keyword. It's, it's understanding uh, what websites are ranking, um, how their content is, is geared, how the user is going to perceive it, What's the intent of the query? Um, what's going to happen for the, for, from a user experience standpoint or what should happen when they get to the site? What's in their mind? What's the persona? Um, and I think that people coming from that opposite background bring that um, pretty strong sometimes. Yeah, and I, I do think the journalism background helps a lot too because, you know, I had the training of asking questions and doing the research mm -hmm. and listening people and getting a sense of, you know, their story, et cetera. And I think that's helped me a lot, especially in my current role now that I'm in-house, um, talking to the salespeople, talking to our agents, talking to different people internally, and um, just kind of drilling them with questions in like that artful journalism type of way that helps me then take that back to the content strategy and, and, and get ideas for areas that we're missing, some of the gaps that we have that 
Um, you can't necessarily find that in competitive research and some of the tools that we have, like you do talking to your um, clients and your internal people. So I, I think that that's been very helpful for my current role. So tell me about a success and then tell me about an oh shit failure that you've had. <laughs> sure. Um, so I was thinking about this ahead of time. Hold on one second. Um, there's a few things that I've worked on that I've been particularly proud. Um, there was a resource center that I launched for um, my client name here, but they're currently out of business, so it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> but they were a, a, a retailer that sold um, a large retail client, yeah, regional retail client, and they sold electronics and um, even furniture, those type of things. They kind of had a wide range of retail stuff. Um, but we created this resource center to get organic traffic. That was the main purpose of it, right? We wanted visits to the site. And it was also um, a way to help ranking back to the main product pages because if we're trying to rank for 4K TV and we write a whole article about like where can you stream 4K shows, it would help the product page rank, et cetera. So we built out a really elaborate resource center and not only did it rank really well, it's one of those beautiful charts where you just like see the rankings like just skyrocket up up into the right yes up into the right it was it was beautiful um but it also started generating revenue and that was not the primary objective of that right like we we knew it probably wasn't going to be revenue generating but it ended up um, generating some revenue and it's not like it generated a million dollars it was small but um that was a really nice um bonus to that that even content that was educational and informative that wasn't trying to sell products at all was selling products so, so that was definitely one of the things that i was most proud of so what went into like all right how did you go from saying hey i've got this idea i want to do a resource center to implementation in in through to the results like what what went into that in terms of because I have a hard time and any SEO has a hard time convincing clients to do the things that you want them to do. That's actually yeah. the hardest part. The easy part is making the recommendations. Um, a lot of people, a, a lot, a lot of clients, when they hear resource center, it doesn't immediately ring the revenue bell. Right. Um, but it, right. as you said, in a roundabout way. So like, how did you get them on board? So part of it was luck, right? It, we had a really great relationship with the client. They were amazing to work with. Um, and then a lot of times when you have just an SEO client, I think you run into a little bit more snags because you don't have access to their CMS, et cetera. But we had access to their CMS. We were doing all the publishing. And um, Diana, complete rock star on our team, um, just started learning code and building out pages and just kind of playing around with it and we were tossing around the idea of making a resource center and she's like i think i can lay it out and she just kind of whipped something together and um you know i think you kind of do this a lot of times in in our industry where you just sort of make it work right mm -hmm. um so we didn't we didn't have to go through their it team they didn't have to submit a request we didn't have to do dev work we just sort of made it happen and then um you know we, we put together some categories some initial content and then it just started to get traction. Their team liked it. They shared it out on social. They shared it out on email. So we had support on the other channels as well. And it just started doing really well. And people started getting excited about it. And then they were able to take that to their bosses and say, look at how good this is. And then they got some support from their graphics team. We had some cool graphics. So it's just a lot of things aligned at the same time that that all worked out. So tell me about your oh shit moment. So probably the biggest one, and I know a lot of people in this industry can probably relate to this. When I switched between agencies, I got slapped with a non-compete um, violation Ooh. from my previous um, And I think we all find those non-competes not really quite reading them or thinking about them, and you just kind of throw your signature on there. But most non-competes will say that you cannot work for a competitive agency within X amount of time and X amount of miles. But if you live in a smaller city like I do, you're probably not planning on moving 500 miles away and you're probably not planning on having two years in between your jobs. So um, that becomes problematic. <laughs> but uh, what was cool about that, you know, I got slapped with the non-compete and I, I about shit my pants. I was 26 years old. I thought I was gonna lose my oh, job and have to pay. I can't work. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, is, it was pretty scary, but um, I remember the um, director of the media department, Jason Tabling, was so funny about it. He was, he was almost like seeing it as like a, a badge of honor. Like we have such top talent that all the other agencies are getting so pissed. They're trying to sue us. <laughs> um, it was just like a funny reaction. And um, Rosetta was a really great company. They, they said, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll take care of this. We will cover any financial ramifications and um, provide you with legal counsel. So I actually went with the head of HR down to the um, Cleveland courthouse and wow. had to meet with a mediator. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, had to meet with a, a mediator. And uh, the way that works, the mediator talks to our lawyer and their lawyer, and then each lawyer goes and talks to each side of the party. And um, I'm not allowed to discuss the specifics, but they did come to a agreement and a settlement. And I, kept my job and moved on with my life. Man, you know, I've heard, so, I mean, I know I've signed non-competes before and they've never been enforced. I'm not sure if I should take that personally or not, or not. <laughs> um, but they've never actually been a problem. But, um, you know, I've never, I, I haven't heard of many companies enforcing and like going to that extent with respect to non-competes. And I know, especially up in, up in the Cleveland market, right, Pete, the, the agencies stay the same and the people kind of rotate. It's kind of like musical yeah. musical chairs between all of the common agencies and things, you know, people go back and forth and so on and so forth. And um, it just seemed like that was accepted and allowed. And I just, from my experience, I didn't see a lot of non-competes flying around. It seemed like poaching was pretty, um, pretty normal. So that actually surprises me that yeah. you to, um, go through that and that they took it that far. Yeah, I mean, usually when you hear of a non-compete, it's because someone either took resources, like they stole staff members to their new company, or clients. It's very unusual for someone to enforce but it. That, just but that for changing even happens them. too, where one person goes, and then the next thing yeah. you know, five more people walking out the door in the next six months. So, yeah. That's well, and that's what the lawyer told me. He said, it's almost impossible to enforce it because of capitalism. I mean, you, you have to be able to work, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of times companies will settle purely because to go through all the back and forth, it's just cheaper to throw some money at it. So that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Was, it, was, it was crazy. So you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on, and we were talking be before we hit record. Um, so Will Reynolds of Sear Interactive wrote what I thought was a really interesting article about what it's like to lose your biggest client and um you know having to go through layoffs and things like that so when you went through a layoff what was it like what did you feel like so i've been through a couple um i've only been laid off once but i've been around a couple companies that have so the the first layoff that i had again i was younger i just moved back home i still live with my parents um so that that helped absorb the shock a little bit right i didn't have like a family to support at the time i wasn't even paying rent um, but it is, it's disheartening. You feel very discouraged. Um, and you know, it's usually not personal. It's not that you're a crappy worker. It's, it's a numbers game, right? Like when I got laid off that round, I think about 10 other people did too. Um, when I was at Rosetta and they did a round of layoff, I was actually on maternity leave that first time. So I don't even think legally I, I could have been laid off. So I was sort of in a safe yeah. zone there. You got lucky. Um, but it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it sucked, though. There were a lot of good people that got laid off, again, just from a numbers perspective. I, I can't remember how many they cut that time, but it was a big portion of our media department. And there were a lot of talented people that I worked with that I was friends with that, that lost their jobs. It's very disheartening. And then there was that second round at Rosetta, um, which was just a, a terrible day. You know, all of a sudden, your your friends were disappearing from, from Link. You didn't see their, their name lit up. And um, people were clearing out their desks, people were crying, and that, that was very disheartening. Um, but it, it happens, right? You mm -hmm. can understand from an economic standpoint when the economy's not doing great that marketing is often one of the first things companies cut, and it's a, a risk in our industry that layoffs will happen. Yeah, and I think the thing that I learned out of all of it is that it's it's never good when it's, it's not that it's not good to have big clients that pay you a lot of money, but it's never good when if you're in a situation where if you lost that client, 
you lost most of your revenue to have kind of too many eggs yeah. in one basket. And that was, um, I think, a situation that we, that we faced without a strong um, BD backlog. And I remember, um, you know, any time you're at an agency, you go through this from time to time where just riffs just, you know, just happen. It's just kind of part of the ebb and flow and clients come and clients go. And I remember during one of them, and I was at the time traveling, I live in Columbus, was traveling to Cleveland. I came up to the Cleveland office in the morning and the, and this happened randomly. And it was like, it kind of blew my mind. The four people that I spoke to in the morning, as soon as I got in, it just so happened that they crossed my path and I spoke to them, all got laid off almost immediately after speaking to me. Yeah. And uh, man, that <laughs> talk about not feeling um, not feeling great and feeling really bad for um, for those people. Yeah, that was a that was a tough tough day. So it yeah. was, and and I anyone working in marketing, you know, you always kind of want to have that contingency fund just because you you can get laid off. It's it's mm -hmm. a difficult job. Also, then you have like daycare and rent, and sometimes the contingency fund's a little dicier to to store up, but. Um, I yeah. do try and keep that in mind that, you know, marketing is, is a career path that when the economy is struggling a little bit, you can be at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the SEO industry, I do want to get into kind of what you're doing now with respect to content strategy. <laughs> what do you, what do you love about the industry and what do you hate about the industry? Sure. Um, so to kind of give the same answer is the change. I love the constant change, right? Because it's it's almost like a puzzle and you're um, every day kind of putting it together a little bit different. It keeps changing, right? And you, all the little pieces contribute to your rankings and your overall success. And those little pieces change. They're not always the same month over month or year over year. Um, so I like that and it's, it's interesting. And my job is, is fun to talk about. People think it's like, oh, that must be such a fun job. Um, but it also drives me crazy, right? Like once you ha have a strategy that starts working, all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. And I, I think a good example when we were at Rosetta, as you know, we did a, a ton of the um, paid blog posts where we were putting, you know, the strategic mm -hmm. anchor links, like everyone in the industry, right? And yep. then, um, and I mean, we were investing heavily in that. That was a big portion of our strategy because it worked. And then Penguin hit and everyone's like, oh crap, like what? <laughs> What are we going to do now? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's like, again, part of our industry where like you have that momentary, like, oh my God, SEO is over and what are we going to, but, but it's not. And you adapt and there's new strategies and you, you find new ways. So I guess I like love and hate that. It, it, it tortures my soul, but it's interesting at the same time. So tell me about what you're doing now. How does it, how does it differ? Yeah. So, um, First of all, the big difference, I'm in-house, right? And that's that's a big difference from being agency side. There's there's a lot of pros and cons of that, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I have access to the subject matter experts. I work with them. I see them in the elevator. Um, I know them. They're my team members. I have access to IT. We have weekly meetings. I can get things pushed through. I have access to the CMS. If I want to change something, I can go in right now and change it. Um, that part's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I do miss the agency life at times. You know, it's... Um, a little crazy but I, I did like being around people that are all also SEO nerds right like you had a lot of smart people that you could bounce ideas off that were in your field too um, and I had a lot of great team members but they're not necessarily you know it's not like a room of 30 SEO nerds anymore it's, it's very yeah. different um, so I like that but I think also the big difference too I'm not solely in an SEO role anymore I'm in content strategy so um, I sometimes it involves in content that has nothing to do with the organic channel. You know, it's, it's email content and um, we'll make video content that's just going to go on social, et cetera. And I think um, to say it has nothing to do with organic is probably a little bit of a stretch, right? Like I think having that background and knowing topics and keywords that resonate well on organic will resonate on every channel, right? Like if people are interested and they're going to search for it on organic, they're, they're going to also be interested in the same topics on social. So I think that that plays into it even when I'm not like specifically making organic content. 
So how do things like your day-to-day -day and your KPIs and how, how does everything differ now that you're not just focused on, on organic? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm in charge of uh, content strategy for all of Amtrust and Amtrust has many brands. Uh, Amtrust has acquired a ton of companies over time. Um, I couldn't even list all the brands that we own. There's probably about six major ones that we support right now. Um, so each of those have different content strategy and I'm, I'm making overall plans for each of those. I have a team of four writers. Um, you know, we're pretty busy. We get inundated with a ton of requests. We do a lot of email, a lot of blogs, uh, and we also do print material, which, which was com mostly completely new to me. Um, you know, we still, we still do a lot of brochures. We do direct mail, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> like what direct mail, what is that? Like Tom um, but yeah, but that's been interesting too. And um, I, I think the other cool part is just having an in-house team. Like we have an in-house video guy, so we can come up with any idea and we can go right to him and say, hey, Andy, we have this idea for a video that would support it and he's in-house and we can have it done. Uh, I think having the access to the team has been really cool because pretty much any idea you can have, you, you can make it happen. Yeah, that was the... Um... So I've been in-house twice and in agencies three times. And for some reason, I tend to gravitate towards the agency side. I just, maybe it was just the times that I was in-house. It just, the place that I was at just wasn't right for me. Um, but I found that I, when I was in-house, I enjoyed some of the same things that you did. The access, the ability to just go change it, just go do whatever I needed to do. But I also honestly felt isolated and there was kind of an isolating effect to being the only, not only just the only SEO, but in some cases, the only marketing person. So it was a little right. bit isolating to, to feel like that and not have a large team or other people to bounce ideas off of. So that for me was something that I, um, that I struggled with, which is why I'm now back in agent, agency world, right? Where it's um, it right. can be a bit maddening to actually get changes <laughs> and I've had to learn to go back to being a, a little bit more patient um, and uh, realizing that it, that's something I could have done in 15 minutes, you know, when I was in house may take weeks or months to get done um, back in agency world. So <laughs> big difference. Yeah. I think Amtrust is kind of a good blend because we have about 25 people on the marketing team and we kind of call it like an in-house agency is, is the terminology that our CMO use, likes to use. So there is a team, um, you know, our, our web production guy knows SEO, a couple of my content writers know SEO. We do have an SEO director as well. So there still is a team aspect and, you know, I can talk like SEO nerd shop with people, but um, it is, it's different than an agency. Um, and I do miss a lot of that thought leadership, a lot of the learning, a lot of the education. Um, you can still get that, but you have to be a little bit more self-motivated to find that. And you're not constantly thrown on different clients and faced with different SEO problems because your site day-to-day -day is like pretty constant. There's not all these changes necessarily day-to-day. -day, so it's, it's different. Yeah, it surely is. Um, so tell me about one of your mentors. Who helped you come up? Sure. So there's been a few. Um, I mean, obviously, aside from like family growing up, like my parents were a big influence, my older brother, et cetera. Um, but I think starting at Rosetta is where I started really developing more um, career mentors. The first one that I want to mention is Jess Andrus. Um, Jess was really great because I think as a woman, it's always nice to find another woman that can kind of show you like that strong female leadership. And, and Jess, was awesome and she was definitely one of those people for me she was my career manager um at one point i know i've had like a million while i was at rosetta um but she was great i mean she just was very approachable she you know helped me maneuver through um you know some of that transition from content writer a little bit more into that content strategy role kind of just starting to make that move yep. etc um so she was great and then probably the other one um other well, two Brian Dean, who um, not is Linko. awesome. Not Backlinko, yeah. Brian Dean. And not not Backlinko. Um, but you know, Brian, I think yep. where Brian was so strong, um, he really taught me a lot about managing people, working with people, working with people who have different styles and kind mm -hmm. of adapting to that. 
Um, and he was just also great with, with clients, right? Brian just kind of had that soothing voice and he could handle any question and, and just, uh, I mean, Brian, you could go in there with a problem and you could, you know, ramble on for 15 minutes and Brian would basically say, I hear what you're saying and I can't fix it. But you would walk out of there and you feel better. Like he just did oh, yeah. away with people. Yeah, he's very good at that. He's, he's, he, I, um, I likened him and I'm glad I get to work with him now. I like it and I actually don't get to work as closely with him as I would like, but I, I still get to be a part of the same company. So that, that makes me happy. He was definitely one of the people that I, um, that I missed quite a bit, but you're right. He, for me, he felt like, even though he's not that much older than me, it's like my dad, my dad. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to go in and get a little pat on the head from, from Brian or like, I never felt any level of fear or um, nervousness when I was going into a meeting with Brian, because I knew he had my back, right? No matter right. what situation came up, that he would back me up and, um, you know, whatever play I made, he would figure out a way to, to make it work on the client side. He's really, really good with clients and actually really good with, honestly, he's really good and in, in well-versed in um, SEO and in digital marketing in general, although he would never admit to that or say that. He usually likes to be the, um, the guy cracking jokes in the room. That's like his, when he's in his, in his element, but um He's, he's pretty amazing and he's on point, but he kind of keeps it on the down low. Yeah. Love Brian. And then my third mentor would be Jake Stoops. So, hey. um, um, yeah, I mean, I'm honored. As I talked about, I, I was the content person. I really didn't know technical SEO until we started working together. And I remember you kind of took me under your wing and showed me very basic things like this is a robot.txt file. Um, and, and very, carefully walked me through all of that and I, I really didn't know any technical SEO at all and you know now I know technical pretty well like I, I learned that from you and I, I remember one of the things that you had said to me which has always kind of stuck with me is that you know like you can solve any technical problem you just need to research it and refer to like Google Webmaster guidelines because most of it's in there mm -hmm. and I have that with me like anytime I run into a technical problem a lot of times I'm able to just research it, even if I've never seen the problem before, and you can usually find a solution. Um, yeah. And that's, that's stayed with me throughout the years. It's been very helpful. And also you made an amazing technical template, which was, which was so yeah. helpful. <laughs> I like that. I can't say that it was mine. It uh, came from the, my four forefathers at, at Rosetta and I adapted it, but i um, glad other people are, still i still use it and i'm glad other people are still still using it um but yeah i would say for me the the most satisfaction and the um the greatest i would say my greatest moment and the, my proudest moment at anywhere professionally was um watching people like yourself and helping people like yourself move along in their career path and just grow grow professionally, grow personally, whatever. Um, I, any client result that I've gotten, um, and I've had, I feel like I've had some pretty good client results and some good client wins over the years has never even paled in comparison to the, the amount of pride that I feel or felt watching you lead an account or watching, um, Margie who people don't know, lead an account. Um, and just watching you guys kind of grow and come in into your own as strategists and walking away from sapient razorfish and and allowing you guys to transition to be the leaders um you know when you, yeah. were, you were still there that was kind of an a bittersweet but an amazing feeling um and that stuck with me it still sticks with me um so that's that's i found out a lot about myself um, in that, in that way, in terms of like, what do I want professionally? What, what's right and what's wrong. So, and that actually for me helped me get to where I'm at now at search discovery, because, um, for, for me and, and startups.co was a great opportunity, but that part for me was m missing entirely. And, and for me, it just right. never, never left me. So I'm back, back doing what I do. So, yeah. And you know, I, I think, what I've learned from you and Brian, I've like carried on now that I'm a manager and I have four direct reports and 
I feel like my management style reflects very much what I learned from you and Brian. And we have a really great team. We all work really well together. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I learned those skills because not, not all managers are, are great to work with. And I've, I've no. been very fortunate. No, they yeah, aren't. And I, I, yeah. And I, I think the other aspect that I, I learned from you and Brian, and I know um, we talked about this at Brian's happy hour, going away happy hour um, after a couple of beers, but um, you guys were both family people. And I think for me, you know, I, I had three kids kind of back to back to back and um, seeing our leadership really emphasizing, like you can be a parent and you can also be awesome at your job was really encouraging for me. And I, I think that's a big part of the reason why I was able to be successful as a mother in, you know, kind of a male dominated yeah, um, industry yeah. for us. Yeah. And I mean, um, I felt very supportive with that and I, I never felt guilty for like taking my kids to a therapy appointment or something because you guys set the tone very much of like, do your job and be awesome. And you can also be a parent. And I, I think that that mm. was very key to my success there. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of be efficient and be awesome while you're at work. And when you're not at work, don't be at, don't be at work, right? Um, not that I like am against working 50 or 60 hours a week, but like I feel like that and a family, even even that without a family becomes unsustainable at a certain amount of um, after a certain amount of time. And um, you know, I'm all about also competence, whether you're man or woman, green, blue, red, whatever. Like if you're competent, you're good with me. But if you're a arrogant dumbass um we we have problems um so right one thing you touched on before we get into the um the the next segment this first segment's always always runs long is um being a female what's it like in a male dominated in, in my opinion a male dominated profession especially in my experience when it comes to management um versus your regular run-of-the-mill strategist like what what is that tell just drop it on me what are your what are your thoughts oh um i do feel like uh with other females uh margie that you mentioned earlier you know mm -hmm. definitely sometimes we have some jokes so we might throw out some phrases like mansplaining etc but i mm -hmm. feel like i've been very fortunate that most of the people i've worked with regardless of your gender have been fine right there's always some outliers there that um you know, there are some stereotypes and, and et cetera, all that. But for the most part, I feel like I've been very fortunate. But I, I do think sometimes as a female, you have some stereotypes working against you, even on certain client calls. Um, we had one um, client where they had um, a team that worked in India. And I know when me and the other female would be on the call and we'd answer a question, they would not believe us. But when our male counterpart would reiterate the same answer, they would accept that and move on. So, I mean, you definitely run into some things occasionally. And I mean, he could word for word repeat what we had said and they'd be like, oh, okay. Um, and that's frustrating, right? But ultimately it's like, I think if you're good at your job and you get your work done, regardless of your male or female, you'll, you'll be successful. Absolutely. And that's, uh, I think it's a great attitude. Part two, making your bones. into the second segment so time to make your bones drop a knowledge bomb tell me something or tell the tell the listeners something they didn't know before um so one thing like i said moving in-house that i thought was really helpful was having access to people and one of the things that i did early on was go to our call center and this is an overlooked gem for both an seo perspective and just the content perspective because they are the people all the time getting the phone calls where people are constantly asking them questions. And they are the ones that will be able to tell you, this is content you're missing on your website. These are what our clients want to know. <laughs> and if you're not tapping into that, you are missing a huge opportunity because that content is not easy to find or it's not clear on your website or they don't understand it. And that's, that's something that you need to address immediately. And when you work with the call center in that respect, 
and start providing that content. Potentially, you can even reduce some of the calls to your call center, which could save your company money in the long run, too. How would you do that if you were on the agency side? That's, that's tricky, right? But I do think working with whoever your client contact is and even saying, like, can you hook us up with the call center and have them provide us the top 10 most common questions? Because most call centers track that, and they probably provide that reporting, if not for an SEO perspective, but I think they provide that for training purposes anyway. They probably have some kind of a manual that the call center operators can click, click, click through the, to the common answers there. Um, so that material is probably there. I think you just need uh, kind of like a sponsor on your um, client side that can help you get that. Yeah, and I feel like that's a theme that kind of came through earlier with respect to your resource center stuff. And in our last episode with Sal Sura, his site speed stuff, really important mm -hmm. to have an internal kind of sponsor above you that can help you champion things through the process or get you the access that you need to get things implemented. Very, very underrated and important, uh, important thing to check off. Um, so, so what tools are you using these days? Um, you know, a lot of the same ones that I used at the agency, right? I think the biggest um, pain point for me going in-house is that I don't have access to every single expensive tool out there. You know, we, we had Conductor, we had Bright Edge, et cetera. And now I have SEMrush, which SEMrush is a good tool. Um, I very much miss Bright Edge and I miss DataCube. Um, but there's a lot of cool features in there, right? And I think no matter what your budget is, there's there's things like I think SEM Rush is like under two thousand for the year. It's it's very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anyone should probably get the funding for that. And it has a lot of good tools in there. It has a lot of good um, you know, content, um, topic research, et cetera. It has keyword tracking that actually updates every day, which is kind of cool. Bright Edge was only once a week. Um, but I I do miss <laughs> some of the wider agency tools that we had. And, and I think, um, you know, some of the free things like answer the public, I love that. I love keywordtool.io, even though I use the free version and it doesn't tell me search volume. I just really like that tool. I think keywords that pops out are, are, are good. Um, Buzzsumo, again, I use the free version. I don't even have the paid version, but there were content topics and there were trending topics. I think you can only do 10 searches a day. Um, but that's usually, you know, enough for my, for my needs. Uh, that's an awesome tool, especially for being free. Those are kind of the main ones that I've been using right now. And then, I mean, Google Search Console and Google Analytics, obviously, I'm popping in there all the time. So let me, let me flip this question around because I feel like everybody has kind of mentioned the same tools. So how about this? What tools do you steer clear of? Mm. You know, I... I still use Google keyword tool, but not like I used to. Mm -hmm. I think if it asked me probably five years ago, that would have been my primary yep. keyword research tool. That's where I would have gone first. But um, I find that I use other keyword research tools and that's kind of my last resort, which um, is definitely a big change in the industry. And I think a lot of people are starting to move away from the keyword tool. It's when they broadened all of the search, uh, search volume and aggregated it all instead of giving you specific search volume. I used to use that every day, and now I've, I, I can't remember the last time. I, it's been years since I've, since I've been in that tool. So it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's sad because I used to really like that one, but there's, just, there's other options out there that I feel are better. Yeah, one of my – you mentioned SEM Rush. That's a great – tool ahrefs also and i've had a, i had a unique experience with them where i wrote a, a blog article about like 50 or 51 greatest seo tools and i had not been in ahrefs for quite some time and um, i made the and it wasn't really a mistake because this was the experience at the time how it only really focused on like the linking side kind of like majestic and i basically said eh, it's good. It's not that great. And um, Tim Sulo from uh, over at Ahrefs actually reached out to me and said, I think, I, I, I think we've done a little bit since maybe you were last in it. Why don't you go check it out? And um, gave me a, a, you know, a six month free trial membership. And um, ever since then, I've been like the biggest Ahrefs kind of fanboy in terms of like their, uh, 
their tool and kind of how they market their business. And I've just been like, I couldn't be like more invested in how awesome or, or more complimentary of how far their tool has come to the point where like it went from being a, just a link analysis tool to like a comprehensive enterprise level solution. Right. So I'm a big fan of Ahrefs. What, what's their price point? Are they like between SEM Rush and Bright Edge? Yes. Yeah. So I, I think they're pretty comparable um, and they've got different packages, pretty comparable to SEM Rush from a pricing standpoint. There are differences, right? Different. And there are some similarities with each of those tools. And I know like a lot of people lean one way or the other or lean to a completely different tool um, altogether. But um, yeah, they're pretty, pretty similar pricing wise and cost effective cost-effective. Yeah. I've, I've used Ahrefs, but it's been a while. I, one of the clients had it at Rosetta. I can't even remember who now, but um, that's interesting. I'd like to check that one out again. Yeah, you should. Um, so your best SEO advice to somebody who is just getting into the industry or content strategy advice, digital marketing advice, what would you tell them? Uh, read. I mean, honest to God, this can be a very self-taught profession, right? Like there's, there's not a major for SEO. You can't go to school and get a degree in this. Well, I'm, maybe you can now, but not, not in my day. Um, and even if you could, it changes so frequently, right? So if you're not reading out there, there are so many blogs, there are so many tips, there are so many, um, just so much information, the, the Google Webmaster Guidelines, et cetera. You have to be reading. And if you don't like reading, you can watch video. Um, there are tons of SEO videos. There are podcasts like this one. I've started listening to um, marketing podcasts on my drive to work in the morning. And there's one with um, Neil Patel does fun where he does your, your daily SEO tip. It's seven minutes long. He does that every single day. Um, it's, it's very easy to learn if you, if you want to, but you have to be proactive. You just, you have to go out and find the information and consume it. Yeah, I have found that some SEOs, and again, I think this is great, great advice, having kind of a natural curiosity um, is very mm -hmm. important. And I have found that some folks in the industry that I've worked with have this um, to the point of like, they are always wanting to learn more and, and be a sponge. And um, to some degree, others, not so much content to just progress along a little bit more slowly when the the actually reading and and learning and soaking up all of the information because like you said earlier it's all out there the answers to most seo questions are all out there they're just not all in one place so um looking up the the answers and there's a lot of people publishing content on marketing and seo content strategy so on and so forth and not that everybody's opinion is is right or should be followed but there's no lack of creative inspiration and it wasn't necessarily always that way until people like the rand fishkins of the world um, started sharing and ever since then um, seo has been an industry where things are very very secret secretive yet not secretive at all um seos right. are always willing to share even even when your competitive competitors right um you know i plan to interview um people working at competing companies and i have no qualms about talking uh talking shop um and that's just been something about the seo industry that like people are ready to help and teach you if you're willing to read and learn and reading and curiosity like that almost can't be can't be taught you have to want it you have to you have to want to go out and you have to put in um put in the time and if you're not willing to do that well somebody might pass you by yeah and i found that um seo people are so friendly and will answer questions uh i know there's a reddit Brad, I think Jeff Luella actually started it at Search Discovery on uh, technical SEO. Mm -hmm. And I've thrown out a couple questions on there before. Um, again, technical is not my wheelhouse. I know enough technical to go in there and do some things. But when I get really deep, I, I've asked a couple questions and, and people respond pretty detailed and, and oh, provide yeah. you. Here's how to fix it. And these are complete strangers that are, are answering my questions. I've, I found it to be a very helpful industry.
Yeah, it, it surely, surely is. Part three, getting made. So last segment, um, so getting made into the page two podcast family means that you have to share a personal fact, something about yourself that nobody else knows. Well, maybe like maybe somebody knows that the people wouldn't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought about this one and I was going to say something about, um, you know, kind of like I had the three kids back to back to back, but I'm like, everyone probably knows mm -hmm. that about me. I'm not quiet about that. So. I was thinking about it and um, my husband and I actually met on eHarmony and I don't think a lot really? of people necessarily I didn't know about know that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, wow. it's kind of fun. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like a dating algorithm, right? Like even in my dating life, I, I did like an algorithm to find my spouse. Like I, it's like just kind of funny how that's all played into the same world. <laughs> but we, yeah, I mean, um, it, it was just kind of like good timing that he had joined and I had joined and, um, my cousin actually bought it for me, I think for like a birthday gift or something for like a three month trial. She's like, Oh, just try it. And, um, we both got partnered up or I don't know, I can't remember now. It's been so long. Um, it's not like a swipe right on, on eHarmony, but, um, we got matched and then, um, we went out for coffee and we had only both been on there for a very short time. And then we both just like, you know, deleted our accounts and, and just started dating and now we're married. It was, it was that just was very, that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was 29 levels of compatibility. That's their uh, their whole so, tagline, and it really worked out there. So were you ever on any other dating sites? And the reason I ask is because I've heard eHarmony is, like, so much more in-depth with respect to, like, the information that they, that they require um, so that they can yes. do a better job of algorithmically matching you. You know, I never tried any of the other ones. And this was back in... 2009 too so like there wasn't hinge or i can't remember all the other ones the kids are doing these days but um right. you know those, <laughs> those didn't exist yet so i think it was mainly eHarmony and match and i think there might have been like plenty of fish or something but um and maybe like craigslist has like a dating thing but i didn't do anything weird mm -hmm. like that but um <laughs> Yeah, like it was very detailed. Like it was like, um, do you like to make your bed every morning? Like it was, it was like weird questions, right? And like, I don't know, do they match like a non-bed maker with a bed <laughs> maker? I'm, I'm not really sure what goes into that, but yeah, I mean, you got you got very specific. Like, what religion are you on a scale of one to ten? How much you do you care about like what your partner's religion is? I mean, it was it was very specific, very detailed. Wow. Yeah. See, I would be just a total disaster in the in with respect to dating sites and in today's dating game because i just i just have no idea what what the deal is or like how to even go about it but i think it's funny that this even before you were an seo you optimized this somehow so you were, yeah. you were in there yeah. one match done you're good good for life yeah it's like I needed like a Google version of like a dating app and that's like exactly <laughs> what I did. Like I put in the parameters and it spat out his picture. Wow. All right. So Desert Island movies. So are you, are you familiar with the concept of Desert Island movies from the office? And These are the movies that you, you're on a desert island and you've got five movies and, and that's it that you're going to watch for the rest of your life. Go. Um, so Harry Potter, obviously, as Which you know. One? So, yeah, and I, I specified this. I'd go one and eight. Okay. For the reason that one has, like, the, the introduction of the magical Harry Potter world. It's amazing. And then eight, just like the final one, you can't top that. So dark so at the end. It is dark, but it's amazing, too. It is pretty good. All the feels, all the feels. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, um, so if we're going with five movies, I would, <laughs> I would probably throw Ever After on there which is like a, a Cinderella type of movie with Drew Wait. Barrymore. Oh, no, I've seen that. I remember that. Okay. So cute. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I would put that on there, that was a sister movie that like my sister and I just watched over and over my and over again. It's made me watch that, that movie. Yep. I know what you're talking yeah, about. I, yeah. 
Um, and then this one's like kind of weird and people think I'm a weirdo for this one, but I love Coneheads. Coneheads? <laughs> Coneheads has so many celebrities from like SNL in it. Like people just keep making random appearances throughout the movie that like you wouldn't even realize. And oh again, I think I like that one because my dad always like watched it on like CBS. Like I just remember watching that movie a ton when I was little. I did not expect. So last week, um, last episode, I should say, uh, Sal Sura mentioned Speed Racer, which was something that I had not thought about in many, many years. And now Coneheads. I had not oh, thought man. of Coneheads in many, many, many years. Uh, what is it? Dan, Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> Jane Curtin? Is that, yeah, is, I yeah, that's his wife. From, from yeah, SNL. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then um, like Adam Sandler makes an appearance in it. Really? I think Chris Farley in it. It's, I mean, you're gonna have to watch it now. It's got so many random celebrities in oh, it. My kids would never understand. Why are their heads shaped like that? They would never understand. Right. <laughs> it's hard to explain that one. Um, right. And then probably for number five, I'd go Elf, which I actually just watched. Oh, I love today. Elf. I'm. Yes, it's so funny. So people. Like there, I feel like you're you're either on like one side of the fence or the other with respect to Mr. Will Ferrell. And personally, I think he's hilarious. I've heard he's an a-hole in real life, but there are lots oh. of people who do not find his brand of humor very funny at all. And literally, anytime I see whether it be uh, Step Brothers, Old School, Elf, like I'm crying laughing. I I, I just I celebrate his entire work. That's how I feel. I love Will Ferrell. He's hilarious. I mean, just Elf has so many hysterical lines in it. Like, it's just, it's so good. I had the kids watch it even, and, um, yeah, like, even they were throwing their head back laughing. It's, it's a funny movie, no matter what age you are. What I love about Elf in particular is that it is kid-friendly. Some of his other movies, not so, not, not so much. Yeah. Um, but I would say anytime, anytime Elf is on, anytime Step Brothers is, is on, um, I definitely like stop what I'm doing and just just watch it. Even so, even when Elf is sometimes on in the summer, I I still watch it because it's that it's it's funny. It's it's funny all year long. And for me, being a Godfather fan, there's the added benefit of having James Caan, aka Sonny Corleone, right? So Godfather being on being one of my Desert Island movies, you get an older aged Sonny Sonny Corleone. So that's right. That's the added benefit and the tie-in. So look at me tying everything together. Um, okay, last couple of last couple of questions. Last meal. You're you're going to the, you're going to the electric chair. What are you What are you eating? Um, I'd go with an awesome steak and a baked potato. Um, just recently, I was at a um, for Content Marketing World. They had you know one of those dinners where they invite everyone out. They want them to to buy percolate, uh, and we went to Marble Room. And the meal that I had at Marble Room, then Marble Room, if you're not in Cleveland, is this really fancy, expensive steakhouse. It was fantastic. Like, I'll, I'll dream about that meal until I die. It was just an amazing steak. The sides were so good. They had an open bar and a lot of good appetizers, but it was the steak that really brought it home. So what is it, a, a filet mignon, a New York strip, a T-bone, a sirloin? It, it was. It was filet mignon this morning, right, and it was so go. good. I, I like medium rare. I'm one of those people. Really? It was delicious. An aristocrat. Um, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was a good fella's reference. Um, so the funny thing about my wife is that, so she has the ability to, even if you would not put prices on a menu, and it's funny that you mentioned filet mignon, she would naturally, just by looking at the menu without prices, automatically, and it's like a sixth sense that she has, go to the most expensive item on the menu, even if the prices <laughs> are all gone. And so they're, like, she loves her filet mignon, and um, I'm never one to deprive, deprive her of it. So She's got quality taste. I get that. Right. It's, yeah. It's <laughs> it is delicious, but yeah, that's just funny. Um, so last question, what, what music do you listen to? What are you listening to right now? What's on your music app? Um, so, well, obviously I have a lot of kids songs on there, unfortunately. <laughs> There's baby a lot of Frozen. Do, 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 baby Shark. <laughs> do you, wait, oh do, my God. do you watch Ryan's Toy Review? Do your kids like Ryan's Toy Review? 
Is that the one where they unbox all the toys? Well, there's a lot where they unbox the toys, but this one in specific is my, my son is a fanboy of Ryan's toy review. And this kid, his family, and there are a lot of families like this, is um, very prevalent on YouTube kids if you have that version of YouTube. And Ryan's toy review is a particular show. And again, they're, they're a family and they follow this kid around and they unbox toys and they do all kinds of like crazy stuff. I've heard that this kid is worth like $8 million. And now you're yeah. starting, you go to your Target and your Walmart, you're going to see Ryan's Toy Review merchandise. And this is from a, a kid who's like eight years old that has a deal with Target and Walmart. And my kids love him. And I just don't get Great. it. And I'm, and I'm also like, why didn't I just film my entire family? And why don't I just spend all my time editing and posting those videos right. on YouTube? I've thought like, about that. Like, even if, you're not <laughs> even if you won't make $8 million, like, what if you made ten grand? Like, that would still be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. So I'm, I'm secretly jealous, but if you watch the videos, it's a little bit, it reminds me of like back in the day, the Teletubbies where like the kids like it, but the parents don't really like <laughs> kind of creepy and weird. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we had to tell the kids that YouTube broke for a while because they kept watching. We were watching the one with Miss Hands where she just like opens the toys. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And yep. Too much. But I do listen to adult music too. I, I I'm a big country fan. So I like Garth Brooks. I like Tim McGraw. So I'm kind of like the older classic. Back when um, country was country, now it's just pop. Yeah, country, and I do like pop too. Um, I actually really like Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift. I still love Britney Spears. So Bieber. I have kind of a yeah. I'm I think Baby is still one of the greatest songs. <laughs> really? Okay. I love song. All right. Yeah, it's a mix there. I I listen to pretty much anything. Yeah, my wife likes some of Justin Bieber's songs, but thinks he's a jerk. And he is. Oh, he is, for sure. But anyways, so where can our audience follow you? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. My handle is at M-A-G-Z, as in zebra, S-B-A-R-R. -R. That's Mags Bar. And then my Instagram is very similar, but it was already taken, so I had to change it up a little bit. It's M-A-G-Z-I-E-B-A-R-R. -R. So they're both um, Mags Bar and Mags Bar. Cool. Awesome. Well, Maggie, thank you for, one, staying up so late. I know you've got a family, so like this is a lot to, um, lot to ask. It's like 10, 15 Eastern. Um, and two, thanks for, um, for coming on and being so candid and telling kind of the, the old war stories. Um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jake. It was uh, great to be on here. Thank you for watching the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can support this show by tapping the link in this episode's description or visit anchor.fm forward slash page 2 podcast to become a monthly supporter. That's anchor.fm forward slash page, the number 2, podcast. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Follow me on Twitter at Jacob Stoops. Thanks again, everybody, and see you next episode.